this week's episode of I Have the Swarm with our producer, Elliot Swery, the Big Sound Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and this is your, we hope, weekly, somewhat deep dive into anything and everything, Yellow Jacket Athletics. But I'll, uh, I'll warn listeners now, we're probably going to take a, a little different path this week. Um, this is, a, I guess, something that's more personal for me. And uh, everyone's just going to kind of have to deal with it, I guess, because it, it does circle back around. And in the second segment, when we have Greg Polkowski with us, everybody will kind of understand why. But it's going to be less of a conversation about current Yellow Jacket events and more about, I guess, the role of coaches oh. and the impact of coaches. And the reason this this comes up at this particular time, and I mean, you've, you know, you've you're plugged in around here, Matt. You you know that you know Bob McDonald, right. the yep. godfather of basketball in the state of Minnesota, the all-time wins leader in high school sports in Minnesota, not basketball sports, with uh, 1,012 wins. He passed away a couple of days ago, and he uh, he spent 53 years coaching at my alma mater at Chisholm High School, and uh, it, it was considering I never played for the man. It was. It was a really emotional thing for me, and you know, and I uh, I, I wrote a, a blog post about it, which has gotten an unbelievable amount of traffic. Um, well, I read it. You know, um, there was a lot of views on it, and it, it, that kind of surprised me a little bit. And his his kids have reached out to me about it. His grandchildren have reached out to me about it. Um, other friends of ours have reached out and, and talked about it. And the, the chord I think that was struck was. Everything that you're seeing on the news, in the papers, whether it's here, my sister says in the Twin Cities, the, the news has been all over this, but it, it's all about basketball. Right. And with my view of it was, oh, it he actually had an impact on people who didn't play basketball. And I think that's kind of what struck a chord with it, but the, the reaction that that First, I, that my, my own personal reaction kind of surprised me a little bit, but the reaction that that post received has truly surprised me. Um, I will compliment you, first of all, because I felt it was heart, uh, you know, having read it, it was heartfelt. And, um, you know, you don't see, I think it's a little bit atypical because whenever a, a loved coach, beloved coach dies, the first thing you always see is tributes from former players, you know, on the, in, the, in the sports world talking about what I learned, you know, what they meant to me. You don't see too many posts from someone who never played for him and never even played the sport that he coached. You know what I mean? Like that was, I think that was the thing that struck me in reading your post. Um, But, you know, in reading your post, one of the things that came to mind when I was trying to kind of sum up, because everybody knows, I think, that's plugged into the basketball community in the state of Minnesota, including myself, um, knows what he did as far as coaching goes. Like we all know about – his wins and all the years that he built a, a true powerhouse at Chisholm High School in basketball. But beyond that, the first word that came to my to my to my head is educator. He was a true educator. It's not all about wins and losses, especially at the high school level. At least it shouldn't be, in my opinion. And he was a true educator. Mm-hmm. I mean, he taught history, which is an important subject. Um, he was a PE teacher as well. But the thing that I you know gleaned from reading your post, and I will say this, is that how much you learned from him, even though you did not play for him. Correct. And that is, I think, the ultimate tribute you can give to someone like a Bob McDonald is mm-hmm. just the fact that, 
you know, forgetting all of the rest of, you know, the coaching and his passion for it, obviously. You don't do something for 53 years unless you have a passion for it. Well, he just did it for 53 years at Chisholm. Right, yeah. But he, I mean, this is almost 60 years. Right, yeah. As but a I mean, high school head coach. Yeah, the point being, like, he, you're just, you don't do that kind of thing. Right. Uh, unless you have a true passion for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, almost 60 years of overall coaching, like you said, 53 at Chisholm High School. Um, it's it's like John Gallardi in football with right. St. John's. It's the same idea. Mm-hmm. You don't go in and do something like that unless you're passionate about it. But that, it's with that being said, it's important to also realize that that's not all this person was. Right. And that really does not totally encapsulate the human being and the and the person and the man that he was. Right. Um, <clears throat> those are tangible records. Those are tangible numbers, and everyone wrote, you know gravitates to those because we're a society that loves stats and numbers, especially in the sports world. But beyond that, he was much more than just that, obviously. Yeah, and I, I when I was trying to gather my thoughts about all of that, you know, the, the, the one word that popped into my mind was just care. He cared, and not just about his players. There's a reason why he was so involved with the Saturday morning basketball program in Chisholm from – you know, the whole time he was coaching there. Right. Part of it being, yes, they're going to play for me someday and I want them to do things right. Right. The other piece of it, though, he just, he cared about every kid. Right. Yeah. He ran the summer recreation program there for years. You don't do that if you don't care about right. these kids. Mm-hmm. And whether it was his own children, people that played for him, regular students like me, Students he may never have taught. Right. He cared. Right. And that was what I always came back to is just how much he cared about everybody in that community. Well, and that's what true educators do, right? They should care. That's why they educate. You know, I mean, if you have someone as a teacher or quote-unquote educator, like I just used the term, who doesn't really care about anybody, they're not really going to educate you. Right. They're not going to take the time to show you the right way to do things or to give you a perspective on life or to challenge you to think and to learn about your life and the world around you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's a good way to describe it as well. I would say that I would put the term care into my definition of an educator. Right. So educator for me is the overall term. Care is definitely probably the number one, you know, qualification to be an educator. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do have to have a base of knowledge. Right. But you also have to have the passion to make the world a better place and to help the, those around you, mm-hmm. especially the younger generations. Yep. Um, also be able to challenge themselves, find out for themselves what the world is all about, um, challenge them intellectually, socially, and physically, you know, which is what coaches do. Right. Um, and, you know, to me it just – you throw all that together and you get the ultimate picture of a true educator and coach. Mm-hmm. But coach, kind of, when we think of a coach, we usually think of it as um, a sports coach and only that. You know, he won all these games and all these state tournaments and state titles and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it go, that, that really reduces someone down to a number and to a bunch of numbers. And as we all know, that's too simplistic for just about anybody. Right. You know, any kind of judgment of a person's character or who, what kind of person they are. That's just way, way too simplistic. And so I, I found it very, very moving. And I, I you know, I, I applaud that. I mean, I had teachers in high school that I also, um, you know, remember fondly. Um, you know, one of the guys that, like, in my life, and I only had him for a couple of years. I mean, he wasn't legend or anything. Was a, name named, was a guy named Kurt Stahura who actually played uh, hockey at the University of Wisconsin 
was an All-American lacrosse player um, and played for the Minnesota North Stars, got a cup of coffee in the NHL, came to St. Paul Academy as an assistant hockey coach. But he was one of my favorite teachers and educators. Um, I knew Kurt for probably three years. I never played for him. I didn't play his sport. I didn't play hockey. But I have very fond memories of him because he supported everybody, and he was one of those guys mm-hmm. that would go out of his way. I mean, he was much younger than Coach McDonald. He would have been, Kurt was probably in his mid-30s, maybe mid-upper 30s when I knew him. But you could see that was the path that he was on. And he actually, funny story, he actually left St. Paul Academy to take a head coaching job as a soccer coach at, Ham- at Hamlin University. And this was while I was St. Olaf. And he called me and told me that if I ever wanted to come play for him, I had a spot open on his team no matter what to come play for him at Hamlin. And it was like, because he had watched me play a lot of soccer because he knew St. Paul Academy was a big soccer school then. And I never, of course, took that because I, I liked St. Olaf. I was happy where I was. But just the fact that you have someone that is willing to go for, to bat for you for that, like that mm-hmm. and the fact that he invited me to come to play there. Just, you know, knowing that he was holding a spot for me if I really wanted it was, was a, a, I took that as a real sign of someone who beyond the soccer side of it, as somebody who really kind of trusted me and, and really had faith in me mm-hmm. and really cared for me as an individual more mm-hmm. than above, above and beyond anything else. So I can, I can, I can see where someone like a Bob McDonald would have that kind of influence on someone. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. He, he really did. Um, and, you know, I didn't, I, I shared a couple of stories in, in my post, you know, and, and the, the one about him actually going to a hockey game, I, I, that's my, one of my favorite stories of all time because he just didn't do that. Yeah, he's not a hockey guy. No, and, yeah. and one of his players on Twitter yesterday posted something about him. He didn't exactly seek out the opportunity to go to a hockey game. You know, that just didn't happen with Mr. McDonald. But he tagged me in that one because he knew I was a kid who was able to – I got him to go. Right. I got him to go. And he he did not want to do it, you know. And I, I, I can still hear him saying to me, no, because if you lose, everyone's going to blame me because I was there. And, you know, that it, when he actually showed up, it was sort of that – what's he doing here? Right. Yeah. You know, fans are going, wow, that's strange, but this must also be kind of a big deal because Mr. McDonald is at the game. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of forced his hand by buying a ticket to the section final, walking into his classroom and saying, you know, here you go. I hope you can make it. And he, and he did. Right. Yeah. And it, we lost, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he, I, and, I, and I, we I, lost and then, yeah. you know, nobody blamed him for it, but we, we lost the game. And when I, it, it was played on a Thursday and I, I skipped school on Friday be you know you're that was kind of the rule back then is if you play the game you have to go to cl- school the next day that's the rule right and I looked at my mother the next day and said there's no way I'm going to school yeah I can't, not, I, can't I, I was so emotionally flattened after losing that game I'm like I am not going and I stayed home when I went back in on Monday I stopped by his his office and just said thanks for coming and when he said I wouldn't have missed it it yeah. was it was really a a touching thing and well, that, and that shows, like I said, it goes well beyond the basketball thing for right. him. Yep. He was a Chisholm guy. Yeah. It wasn't the fact that he was a basketball coach mm-hmm. just alone. Right. Um, take away all the st- those thousand plus wins. He was a Chisholm guy. Yeah. And he wanted everybody at Chisholm to succeed and do well. Yeah. And even though he was not a hockey guy, 
um, it was important to him to go. I mean, he probably blamed himself for the loss more than <laughs> anybody in the, in the community blamed him for the loss. You know what I mean? But um, that's how guys like him are wired. Yeah. You know, that's how guys like him, I mean, he probably was more, like, felt bad about the fact that he was there to see a loss than anybody else did, you know. I mean, you know, in those small towns, it's usually, you know, we didn't win, but we're proud of our guys for getting this far. Yep. And for a coach like him, it was probably like, geez, if I hadn't have gone, maybe they would have won. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there there was a thought back there, you know, you know, for someone like him in that regard, because coaches are superstitious, mm-hmm. as we know. Uh, we have a few on this campus that are very superstitious. I won't name any names, but <laughs> you and I both know who they are. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact that he still, no, I got to do this. Yeah. I got to go. You know, win, lose, or draw, I got to be there. Right. You know, that's very cool. That 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 says a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's all Kurt was with us. You know, he came to everything. He came to basketball. He came to soccer. He coached in soccer for a little while. Um, and I returned the favor. I went to hockey games all the time. Uh, I had some friends on the team. But it wasn't just about that. It's it's also about creating kind of a community. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and being there to support your fellow classmates and your and your fellow students. And your, in your, what you would call your community members. So, yeah, I, I completely get it. I completely understand where that was coming from. He, uh, story I didn't relay, and I guess blame probably isn't the right word. Um, years later, I think he kind of blamed himself for it. But what, what essentially what happened was this is, you know, he, he was there long enough where he had my parents in school too. Okay, right. And my, my father was the captain of the swimming team. Okay. And Mr. McDonald taught swim class. Okay. And so they were going through some exercises and drills in swim class and you know my dad said i'm not doing these <laughs> right you know I, no uh uh-uh, uh this is this is stupid i'm not doing this and mr mcdonald is like everybody in the class is doing this you're doing this and my dad is going i'm, I'm the captain of the swimming team i am not doing this yeah um if you don't do it you're going to fail the class <laughs> i'm not doing it so Mr. McDonald goes to Mr. Ivan and the swim coach and says, you better have a, cha- a chat with Garver here because he's refusing to do this simple exercises in my class and we're going to fail him. So Mr. Ivan goes to my dad and says, Ted, listen, you got to do this. Or you, just do it. Just it, do it. Just, yeah. it. They're simple. Bite the bullet and do and it. And just get it done. Yeah. He goes, you know, my dad, both have been thinking it was all beneath him at that point, just said, I'm not doing these. This is ridiculous. You got people who can't swim who need this stuff. I'm a varsity swimmer. I'm not doing it. And so Mr. Ivan goes back to Mr. McDonald and says, well, <laughs> do what you got to do. <laughs> so report card comes out, big fat F on my dad's report oh. card in swimming. So the captain of the swimming team fails swimming class. Fast forward roughly 20 years later, and my dad still had said report card. <laughs> and I came across this, and I'm going, what in the world? How did you fail swimming? So he starts telling me the story. It comes up a little bit later on when I was talking with Mr. McDonald, and he just said, no way. Uh-uh. I didn't do that. And I said, actually, you did. I've got the report card if you'd like to, to prove see it. it. Yeah. And he's going, there's no way. Your dad was a really good swimmer. I said, I know, and you flunked in swimming class. So he goes and has a consult with Mr. Ivanen, who was still in the school district at the time. And Mr. Ivanen says, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. He, he said he wasn't going to do it, so I, I told you to go ahead and fail him. And Mr. McDonald comes back to me and goes, I failed your dad in swimming class? I said, yeah, you did. And he's like, oh, I, I feel so terrible. A thousand apologies. I should never have done that. And then 
a short time later, you know, we went to the same church. He grabs my dad after mass and is just like, I am really sorry I did that to you. <laughs> I was like, why are you blaming yourself? He was the one who wouldn't get in the right. pool and do yeah. the exercises. Why are you blaming yourself on this? So, yeah, he, he took the blame for failing my father in a class that my father clearly deserved to be failed in, right. regardless of his standing on the swimming team. And I, and I totally get uh, both sides of that equation, but at the end of the day, you know what? It was on your dad to do it. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. It was, and- but the teacher felt bad about it. 30 years later, right, and said, no, yeah. I really shouldn't have done that. Well, I mean, everything, the hindsight's twenty twenty, but I completely get it, too, at the same time. I mean, you can't just walk in and be like, I'm the best swimmer in this school. Mm-hmm. I am not, <laughs> you know, doing this simple drill. Right. And it's just like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, you know, everybody else is going to do it. It takes a good, you know, hour of your day. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> You know, and there was a lesson there to be learned. Yeah, the, the stubborn <laughs> yeah. German decided, no, I am not doing this. Oh. I am not. And See, if I had, if I will say this, if I had ever pulled something like that, like, I'm the best soccer player in this school, I'm not doing this <laughs> soccer drill in PE class. Um, My father, who did that and failed swimming class, would have yes, taken me to the woodshed. Yeah, exactly. My parents would have been like, <laughs> Are you just do it. <laughs> you know, why is it so hard, you know? And I think that's one of those things that, uh, you know, when you're young, you get that you're kind of full of yourself, especially in your teen years a little bit. Oh, yeah. But now looking back, it's like I would never have ever – I mean, I wouldn't have done it anyway because I would have never heard the end of it at home. Right. If I would have gotten an F on a report card for a soccer class when I'm playing on the varsity team that's a state championship contender every year, I, <laughs> you know, I would, I would never have heard the end of it. I mean, I give my dad credit for it. I guess sticking to his guns and having the guts to do it, but right. at the yeah, same yeah. time, it's like, don't be an idiot. Just get in the pool. <laughs> yeah, just do it. <laughs> just get in the pool. Everybody else is here doing it. Don't just stand there and mm-hmm. just be obstinate just because. Right. You know, just do it. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's like, because that's what my <laughs> my parents are very much, if if they tell you to do it, you got to do it. Right. And sometimes you got to do things you don't oh, want to do. My father was absolutely like that too. You know, I mean, I, I was afraid. <laughs> he of learned my, a lesson. From I was all afraid that. of my dad. I, I didn't. You know, right. I. Well, maybe I, that F. I, uh, I didn't want to disappoint him in any way. So I mean, I was going to definitely do the exercises that I was supposed to do. But it's holy right, moly. Well, maybe he learned the lesson he was supposed to then from that F. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go that far, but you know. <laughs> well, I mean, but there is a lesson. That's, it, it might have contributed. <laughs> it's possible. It right? might have contributed a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's, it's a possibility for yeah. sure. You know, so it, it's uh, it's a sad time in my hometown, and it's a, a sad time for me personally because of everything I did learn from him. Um, the kind of legend and, would be an understatement. I, I don't think it's a strong enough word. Yeah. You know, and I, I look, I was thinking about this a little bit as I, like I said earlier, gathering my thoughts on some of this, and, you know, it's it, it's like in pro sports when the face of the franchise leaves, yeah. Yeah. you know, or the you know, the face of the league passes away or something like right. that. That It's like the, the face of our community, you know, is is gone now. It goes and back to uh, something that... whenever anybody brought up Chisholm, Minnesota, oh, McDonald yep. is always the first thing that comes up. Right. And, you know, it's it's just a, a different feeling now when the, the face of the community is gone. It's the same idea beyond anything that they might have achieved. Um, you know, there is a certain amount of of uh, recognition of not only their, their talents for what they did, uh, but, you know, what kind of individuals they were and what they brought to the table. And, um, you know, with that being said, I still think that Coach McDonald is is 
uh, unique in the sense that he was a true educator as well. Mm-hmm. And he probably viewed himself as an educator first and foremost. He didn't necessarily go into uh, bas- you know, every year thing, I'm a basketball coach and that's what I'm known for. Because um, I find that people who are known for just one thing really it limits their reach if right. you're simply defining <clears throat> them by those numbers that we talked about earlier. Uh, the, and I, you know, we talked about this earlier even in this segment. It's really unfair to them to break well, them down into absolutely. just yeah. I mean, you know, you know, that was one of the things I wanted to that I always wanted to try to drive home about him is there's so much more there than than basketball, right? You yeah. know, I mean, he was very proud of his Croatian roots, yeah, and he he spoke the language that he painted. You know, he he had his beagles and he he went rabbit hunting with them. I mean, I this... love the beagles aspect. By the way, <laughs> I love beagles as a dog, so that's awesome. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and he was uh, when when my parents finally broke on that after years and years of badgering. Um, it, it was bizarre timing because it's like, okay, my sister's out of the house already, and now I'm going into my senior year of high school, and you finally decide it's okay to get a dog. Right. When the two people who would have been taking care of it the most are leaving the home. Right. But they, they finally relented, and uh, I, I had wanted a beagle for a while and knew that he he had connections in the beagle world, I guess, for, for lack of a better phrase. And, you know, they were, they were instrumental in bringing that little guy into our lives. Beagles are fantastic dogs. Um, we had a family friend growing up that had a beagle, and he was the sweetest, you know, he, he was the sweetest dog you could possibly imagine. I mean, he was, his name was Winston, which is a great name for a beagle. And he had epilepsy. So you couldn't, he would get a little overexcited. And there were times where he had to kind of, kind of calm him down a little bit because he would get overexcited whenever someone came to the door and he would bark, 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 bark like crazy. But if you took some time to spend with him, he was the most gentle mm-hmm. natured dog you could possibly want. And I just, in that regard, I fell in love with beagles because Winston was, my dad described him as a cigar on legs because he was he was sort of, you know, because they had that body where they, they tend to be a little bit plump. They mm-hmm. can get plump up a little bit. Oh, yeah, they do. And, <laughs> you know. They'll and, eat until they die. Yeah. If there's food around, they're going to keep eating. Yeah, exactly. And, we can do a whole segment on adventures in But my they're just sort head. of adorable because you can just kind of look at them and be like, there's yeah. something very just, they have those big eyes and those floppy ears. And they're just very, they're a very attractive dog to own. Because they're not too big, they're not too small. They're yep. right in that middle kind of ground, and they're incredibly loyal and in, and incredibly loving of their family. Yep. And uh, the fact that uh, you know uh, Coach McDonald loved beagles doesn't really surprise me, right? <laughs> Based on everything that I've been told about the man, I sure. vividly remember when we knew the dog was coming because he came up from Iowa, I believe, is where is where they got him, and when he he called. And said, all right, he's here. Come and get him. I, uh, it was snowing like crazy. It was the end of November. It was the night before the Iron Range Conference Jamboree. And I drive over to his house and, and pick up this minute little dog that, like, fit in my, inside my letterman's jacket. He was so little. Oh, and their puppies are tiny. Yeah, he was yeah. so small. And get him home and put some food down in front of him, and he's just... Inhaling this food and watching him just blow up and as all this food is hitting his stomach and he's just getting bigger and bigger. I was like, oh, my God, this dog is going to die. He's been here for an hour and a half and he's going to die. Right. But it was was a a really 
unique personal connection right. to be able to have gotten the one dog that we had, you know, in our in our home through the McDonald family. Probably my favorite dogs are the ones that are kind of, um, and I'm I'm a cat guy, and I know you are too. We're both cat people, but we also love dogs, and I think that kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, when I was really little, we had a golden retriever. Uh, I don't remember him real well. His name was Rusty. Um, but he had been abused, and, I mean, there were some issues with Rusty because um, we got him as a stray. But I remember thinking, you know, if we could get a beagle in the house, that would be ideal for both the cat and for uh, the family just because he's not too big, he's not going to take up too much space, and he's not so big that he's going to scare the heck out of the cat. Uh, and the cat, you know, can still get along with him probably okay if they gave each other enough time to get used to each other mm-hmm. you know and that was kind of the way i looked at it so but i was totally thrilled when i read that part about the beagles that was fantastic yeah. um and to this day i suppose if i was thinking about getting a dog a beagle would be at the top of my list no oh, it then, still is the top of my list there's no doubt yeah, about that you know if I mean, if my wife will ever bend on the no dog rule it, it would definitely be i kind of feel like your house is already kind of a, a, a menagerie though just because of the two cats we got and, two cats and there's yeah. we have a pet moratorium here for a little while just because there's yeah two two cats and a dog two cats tough. is enough with a toddler yeah. um so yeah the, the two cats are are definitely enough for us right now my best friend in high school had three cats and a dalmatian and that was quite the <laughs> that was quite the combo mm-hmm. uh the dalmatian of course is so high strung his name was pippin and, and that dog I, I kind of reached an understanding with him at a certain point, but that dog growled at me every year for I don't know how many years, and I don't know how many times I was around that dog. I mean, that dog knew me, and he still growled at me when I first came in the – I mean, and, and I think it's probably because Dalmatians have some inbreeding to them, and they're just kind of high-strung, mm-hmm. you know. But, uh, you know, every time I've ever been around a beagle, they just sort of bark. And their tail goes, and they're just sort of happy. Yeah. You know, you don't get a lot of growling from beagles. No, that, pre- that pretty much really explains them. it. What's that? That pretty much, that hits it on the head pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, they're just super excited. Yeah. I mean, they run around, and their tail's gone, and then eventually they settle down if you're there long enough. But mm-hmm. um, they're just super excited and happy. Yeah. You know? And, you know, the character Snoopy, I think, in Peanuts also helped. Right. <laughs> Helps, right? I mean, oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. You yeah. know? Even though Snoopy doesn't really look like a beagle. No. But he technically is a beagle. Right. So, um but I, I think that uh, even Charles Schultz and the Peanuts, you know, <laughs> cartoons are in the uh, comic strips. Mm-hmm. He pretty much hit the nail on the head when it came to beagles. Yeah. Beagles are very adventurous, and they're 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 kind of um, they have a kind of vivid zest for life, and that's sort of how Snoopy was. Right. You know, if you really break it down. Yeah. Anyway. No. No doubt about that. <laughs> no doubt about that. But he's anyway. Uh, I digress. As yes. I yeah. We digress. But um, no, it's. Uh, it's been an interesting 48 hours, and, uh, you know, it's uh, everything I've said, everything I've written about Mr. McDonald, the guy I never played for, but that I, I got just as much, if not more, from than some coaches that I did play for. A uh, very, very special human being, and, you know, the, the world's a little lesser place, I think, without him in it. Right. Not just... From a basketball standpoint, right. from a human standpoint, right. from the way he believed in doing things correctly, from the way he believed in being good, right. from the, the discipline. You know, talk to his players about discipline. Not, no hair over the ears, you know, no facial hair, wear your suit, wear your winter hat. You yeah. know, more than once he, he said to me, keep the hair on your head short and the hair on your face shorter because... 
hockey players were the antithesis of the basketball players in right, the, you yeah. know, at our school where they were clean shaven and had the short hair and, you know, hockey players are known for their flow right. and, and not necessarily shaving. So he said that to me more than once if things were getting a little too scruffy on the face. But uh, he, he, he believed in the right things. He was a good man, and he's definitely going to be missed. Before we go into the next segment, mm-hmm. um, I have a quick question for you. Because you mentioned this also in that blog post, and I, you know, I never really thought about it, but it is true. What was it like playing a sport that is so well loved on the Iron Range in hockey, but at a basketball school? Mm-hmm. Like, what was that like? I mean, that must have been sort of a change. And how did you guys relate to Coach McDonald and his players as a result of that? I mean, did that change anything in terms of the dynamic socially within the community or anything like that? No, it, it it didn't because I mean it's a small enough community, it's a small enough school, where yeah we didn't play the same sport in the winter, but a lot of those guys played football with us in the fall or okay. played baseball with us in the spring or ran track with those guys in the spring. Okay, you know, so it 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 really there wasn't any kind of necessary rivalry or anything. No, necessary. not yeah. really. You know, um, it was. There was a you know a mutual respect slash happiness okay for for them. I mean, we were thrilled to death when they won the state tournament in 1991. Right. Yeah. Um. You know that was that was a really fun winter because they lost one game, and right. the hockey team lost four. So there was a lot, a lot of, of success. There was there. a lot of winning in Chisholm that winter, and it, it it was a lot of fun, and we kind of really just enjoyed the success of, of each other. Okay. So there, there was no real rivalry there. That's uh, good. That says a lot you about know, and, and to be, and to be frank, Chisholm didn't have a great deal of hockey success when it had a hockey program. Right. You know, you had a, a little bit of a blip in the, the early 1970s. Um, you had a, a blip in 1980 when they suddenly had a winning season after a decade of not. Right. And, uh, knocked off state champion Grand Rapids during the regular season. Um, so you had that blip there, and then there was really no, no, no winning again until our group came along, and we had the three straight winning seasons, and then you know, shortly after that the program was, was disbanded, and those players go to play in Hibbing now. But I think because there really had been a traditional lack of hockey success in that market that – it was okay for it to be a basketball community. Right, yeah. You know, and uh, you, you wish, yeah, you wish it would, you know, your community would have been known for the sport that you played, but at the same time, you know, did we deserve to be known that way? Right. No, because Chisholm wasn't cranking out the players like other schools were. Well, it's not like the IRC was exactly, you know, <laughs> it wasn't exactly like, a situation where you're going up against a bunch of slugs. I mean, no, this is a league that was stacked back then. Yeah, you know, if you look back, 70s, 80s, Division One players, NHL players, Olympians were coming out from all of these communities. Right. So you I know, mean, it's not Babbitt, like... Buzzy Schneider, right, played in two Olympics, won a gold medal. You know, Virginia, John Harrington played in two Olympics, won a gold medal. You go to Evleth. Geez, Johnny Masich, he didn't do anything at the University of yeah, Minnesota, did he? Oh, my God. John Mariucci's from there. You get into the um, Mark Pavlich, who won a gold medal and went on to play in the NHL. Right. You go over to, to Hibbing. Pat Micheletti was an All-American at Minnesota and played in the NHL. Scott Sandlin, 
who went to North Dakota and coached the UMD. Now he played in the NHL. Go a little further over to Coleraine. Kenny Drenander played in the NHL. Right, Chris yeah. Miller was Minnesota Mr. Hockey. Go to Grand Rapids. Geez, John Casey played in the NHL. I mean, it's just... It just goes around and around. It just around. goes around and around. And then yeah. suddenly he's stuck right in the heart of the Iron Range is Chisholm. And, yeah, there's some Division One players that came out of there. And there was, you know, those of us that were able to play the college game. But that, not to the magnitude of what every other community up there had. Right, yeah. You know, our success was in basketball. Right. You know, so it's, we didn't, Chisholm didn't earn the right to be considered a hockey community up there. It definitely earned the right to be the basketball community. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would, I mean, I don't know how many years in a row Chisholm won the IRC. I suppose it was probably just about every year. There was a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, there was a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, for a while, Joel McDonald was the leading scorer in Minnesota Mm -hmm. State history. He's not anymore. I think it's Anders Broman now. Yeah, he's not anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I think Joel broke the record because he was a couple of years. Was he in the same class as you, or was he? He's a year older than me. Year older than you? Yeah. Okay. Because I remember 91. watching him in the high school state yeah. tournament. Yeah. He was class ninety one. Um, okay. They, you know, they they won it in ninety one. They lost the one game. There are some that think maybe the team in nineteen ninety was even better, but Joel got hurt. Okay. And that derailed. That derailed that season? season. Okay. Yeah. You know. Um, if I remember correctly, and I'll have to ask Joel about this. If I remember correctly, I can't remember who they were playing, but they were winning by a pretty decisive margin. Okay. And I believe he went up for a dunk. Okay. And yeah. came down a little awkwardly. Okay. And that's what held him out. I'd have to ask him to make sure about that, but I think that's what happened. That's what ended up happening. And kind of okay. derailed that season a little bit. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because they, maybe they could have gone back-to-back had Joel mm-hmm. not gotten hurt. Absolutely, I think they could have. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. I think they could have. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a special place in, in terms of the basketball world, and I look forward to the next segment because Greg Polkowski's going to join us, and he has a Chisholm connection there as well. So uh, he's made a few trips up to Rolls Gymnasium, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that and, and kind of dive a little bit deeper into the, uh, the whole impact that coaches have on people and everything as the Eyeless Worm continues right after this. For over 85 years, the dollars deposited at National Bank of Commerce have been reinvested into the community, sparking bold ideas and igniting big dreams. Our customers have helped transform the region. And if we've come this far already, just imagine what's next. National Bank of Commerce. We make more possible. We're back on Eye of the Swarm, and uh, we are joined now by Yellow Jacket head men's basketball coach Greg Polkowski, who's joining us on short notice, and I will uh, forewarn you. I gave you a little bit of warning when we we spoke prior to you coming on, but uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking specifically about your program here this year, but uh, I want to dive a little bit deeper into coaches, the role mm-hmm. of coaching, the impact of, of, of a coach, and the... Uh, foundation for that conversation came up over the course of this week with the uh, passing of Chisholm High School men's or boys basketball coach Bob McDonald, mm-hmm. who is a, a friend and a, a mentor and an, and an educator in my life. Mm-hmm. And we spent a lot of time talking in that in the first segment about about him and about him being more than just mm-hmm. wins and more mm-hmm. than just a basketball coach. But before we dive into some of that, you have a little bit of a connection there 
Um, made a few trips up to Rolls Gymnasium in Chisholm yep. to uh, do some recruiting. Talked a little bit about that. Well, first, thanks, uh, John and Matt, for having me on. Uh, anytime's a good time to be here with you guys, so thank you. But, uh, yeah, speaking to uh, you know Coach McDonald and Chisholm and uh, – um, just everything that goes about that, you know, as you mentioned, we had a chance to kind of connect and, and reflect on, you know, after hearing the, the news of Coach passing. Um, you know, I, I, I had some interaction with Coach McDonald. It was my first year coaching, actually. Uh, would have been the 08-09 season, and, and the head coach here at that time was was Dave Buchanan. And um, as we had talked before in the past, he kind of, you know, really – gave me a free reign recruiting and put me in a lot of situations. And one of those, probably the most unique situation that year was uh, was going up to Chisholm, Minnesota. And uh, Taylor Skoglin was actually the recruit at the time who who did come to UW-Superior, but it was a, a very enjoyable year of, of going up to watch him play games. And, and you know, I didn't really know a lot about Coach McDonald. I definitely didn't know a lot about uh, the family uh, at that time. I had kind of had some, you know, insight. I'm from Wisconsin, so I, I had heard of Coach McDonald, but really didn't know. And, uh, yeah, I still remember that first trip, snowing all the way up, and, you know, you find the the, the entrance to the gym. And, you know, I walked into the lobby, and it was, uh, you know, I, I eat that stuff up, um, but the lobby and the entrance to that gym is is second to none. I mean, it's, it's literally like walking into a museum, from the ticket booth to the the plaques on the wall to the pictures. I mean, I think I spent, I don't know how many minutes before I even walked into the game. It was just an awesome experience. You could just feel it when you walked in. You could just tell something had been built here. Um, you kind of knew that, but to, to experience that firsthand was was awesome. And I remember getting there early and, you know, they had the upper deck seating, uh, which, you know, I think is awesome. It just kind of adds to that that feel of, you know, what had transpired in that gym over decades Uh um, to where it was now and you know you watch the game and you know I remember you know at halftime you know they had older couples out on the floor polka dancing and uh, you know I'm from a small town myself similar to Chisholm in Wisconsin I was you know it, it brought you right back home and I was like oh this is awesome and I remember talking to coach after that first game and um, you know you read the articles that have come out recently about his office and the things that were written on the walls and you know things they charted and I remember seeing those things, um, you know, speaking to him after, and he was obviously awesome. And, and you know, he had, didn't know me. I mean, I was young, 23 years old, and he here's a, a coaching legend. And he was, you know, he wouldn't have treated me any differently than if I was, you know, Phil Jackson or whoever it was. And, and he was just great. And uh, so that was a great interaction and, you know, went to a number of games that year. And, you know, as time went on, um, you know, found more connections with, with the McDonald family and, and learned more about, you know, that legacy really, you know, that I think all would point to started with, with coach Bob McDonald. But so it's, it's been very enjoyable just learning more about that family, you know, since that 08, 09 and, and creating relationships with, with really multiple generations of that family. But that was my initial, you know, introduction to coach McDonald and Chisholm and Chisholm basketball. But, you know, again, to reiterate, you know, when you walked in that gym, um, just, just the environment that existed there. And, and then, you know, me being a, a sports junkie, just like you guys, you know, you learn more about what all those things meant, you know, what Mike McDonald was, what Joel McDonald was, uh, you know, the championships throughout decades. And, uh, yeah, really, you know, maybe as you mentioned in your first segment in, in the heart of hockey country too, and it just, 
just how cool that was. And I, and I, like I said, I love that stuff. And I, I think it's, you don't see that a lot anymore. So to, to experience that was pretty cool. Don Mulhern used to remark about going to a, a game at that place because the first thing you see is the ticket window. And it's like the old style movie theater ticket window where you right. have to talk through the little hole and they hand you the ticket and everything. And then you go into the, the lobby area and it's got the, the lists of, thousand point scores and all conference people and but there's things up there for other sports as well and it's all handwritten and it's all mr mcdonald's handwritten work Mm -hmm. in the lobby of that gym and you Mm -hmm. talk about sign on the walls in his office signage in in the locker room all of that is handwritten the meticulous notes that he would keep on athletes Mm -hmm. on students Mm -hmm. that were taking his classes the uh, meticulous notes he would keep on opponents. Yep. And that's how he would scout was through these notes that he would keep all of these written in permanent marker. It seemed like on cardstock, you know, it was, uh, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's one of the things I vividly remember is his handwriting all over that building. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, you physically see that handwriting, uh, but it, you know, his, his, his impact was written all over everything in that program too. And I think, you know, just reflecting and reading a lot of articles that have come out, you know, recently, um, yeah, you just see the impact he had on, you know, throughout that whole program and, and people's lives and, and how that that's carried on, not from, you know, not only from physically seeing it when you walk in the door, but then it's just written on all over, you know, people's lives too. And I know that sounds kind of corny, but I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that too. You know, I, let's 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 take that that little deeper dive then, because um, you've used the word impact a couple of times, and I, I think there there's times where where some people who maybe aren't sports people will look at it and go, just a coach. Yeah. You 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 coach a sport. Anyone can do that. Right. You know, yeah. my my uncle coached his kids' basketball team. He never played. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody can coach. There, there's so much more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And the impact that these people have goes so far beyond sport, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I were, obviously I've leaned a lot on, on Mr. McDonald in this, in this particular episode, but it's, it's the, the life lessons that you learn through sport. Mm-hmm. And you learn that because these coaches are the people that, that make the impact on you. Mm-hmm. Is that a driver for you as a coach, knowing that you are having such a significant impact on young people? I would think it is. Yeah, I don't know if it's – I don't know for me if it's – I guess I'll kind of answer it two ways. I don't know if it – like if it's really the goal or the driver, but it's definitely, I guess, the fuel because, uh, you know – when you walk in and have interactions with these students, athletes every day, um, you don't really know what's coming your way uh, each and every day, whether it's the sport itself, whether it's a life occurrence, um, whether it's, you know, just whatever's going on. And I, I think it all comes back to relationships. And and when you are interacting in that relationship every day, um, yeah, what fuels you is is trying to do right uh, by that person in, in, yeah, you just want to give your best to everybody. And I, I think that, you know, even especially in a situation like this year being so different, I just think that, 
that part has really been highlighted. Um, and it, it's always been important to me, but those relationships, I just think things are so crucial. Um, and I'm not trying to bring it necessarily to the environment we're in right now, but it's just really been high, highlighted recently that everything is so crucial. Um, you know, it, it's really a, a fragile time right now. So those relationships, I think, are crucial. You have to build that relationship, you know, to 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 propel these kids. And, you know, basketball, for example, is only going to take that person so far. And I don't mean literally like in their career, but like the depth of your relationship, the context of that is only so deep. So I think as you build that relationship and, and can pass along guidance and mentorship, um, it just, it springboards not only that person, but that the whole relationship. So I, I think for me that that is the fuel that goes into each day. And I think you, uh, you know, want to do your best each day, and when you come across each occurrence, um, yeah, you, you just pour yourself into each relationship, and I, I think that is extremely highlighted right now. And to Coach McDonald, um, I mean, there's thousands of living examples of that that all around. So, you know, let's you, you said you didn't want to necessarily concentrate on on what's the environment right now, but no, let's let's concentrate mm-hmm. on the environment mm-hmm. right now, Greg, mm-hmm. because. I mean, you're, it's a it's an important job in the best of times, mm-hmm. but it's almost it's almost magnified right now, isn't it? Yeah, because you don't have the typical practice game schedule to mm-hmm. fall back on. You don't have the traditional activities to fall back on. It's almost magnified now because you don't have those things. You have to be more impactful, don't you? Yeah, I think you know you don't you know really for a lot of anybody. You know whether it's coaches or players. You know you look ahead to that schedule, and that's that's my goal. That's our outcome. Um, I don't I, I don't think that supersedes you know the relationships and why people are in it. Don't get me wrong, but you always have that to look forward to. And right now, you know I think we're all hopeful and, and realistic that what you know that's going to come back one day. But right now. You know, we're not preparing for UMD on October 28th like like we would have been. Um, and, you know, for me, you know, we've just really had to embrace this whole change. And as a coach, you need to embrace that, not fight it, embrace it, and, and, and jump right in two feet with your players to be there for them. And I think that, you know, you the outcome we don't know what the outcome is right now so you know I've kind of had this phrase and I, I've stolen it uh um you know of just surrendering the outcome and you have to do your best each day no matter what you know whether we know we're going to play in January whether we don't play in January that um because it's needed right now and, and if if somebody's going to not give their best because a game is is or is not on the schedule um and I don't mean on the court I just mean in those relationships and, and pouring into one another, um, you know, I don't, that's not going to make it go. So I think we, I, we, I think the coaching, you know, fraternity in general, as you read things, uh, are just, it's a critical that people are there for one another right now, that there's leadership, that there's a belief in somebody, that there's trust in somebody, that there's somebody that, you know, somebody can lean on because, Things are different right now, and I don't think some of those usual places that you can turn to um, maybe aren't there right now. The environment's different, so that that role of of being there uh, for somebody to trust and believe in, I, I think, is crucial right now. Always is, but I, I it is it is more impactful right now, I believe. 
I like the fact that you brought that up because we've gone now from a world where we have tangible to in, intangible, right? And one of the phrases that is used a lot of times in basketball circles especially is intangibles. What does he bring beyond the court itself? You know, and sometimes that's an evaluation period for players as well and coaches. It's not just about the tangible aspects of we got to go out, we got to execute this game plan, and we got to get a result. That's a tangible thing. That's something you can reach out and grab and say, this is what we can do. Intangible is kind of the unseen part of it. And this is moving kind of beyond the point where, you know, we're just basketball. And that's really, and, and John and I kind of alluded to this in the first segment, actually. It's not fair to break someone down necessarily in their influence just on the tangible. Wins and losses and, you know, seasons coached and All-Americans, uh, you know, all-conference, conference titles, state titles in Coach McDonald's case, and so on and so on. It's more about, you know, the, the well-roundedness of the individual that is putting those numbers up. Is he or her, he or she, are they able to be a success beyond simple numbers? Yeah, we won all those games, but was the guy a jerk? Was he actually a nice guy? Did he actually care? And that's where we get into with Coach McDowell and people like him because you can honestly say that, yes, he did care about not just his players, not just his student-athletes, not just his students, period. He cared about the entire Chisholm community, and that's what it comes down to. And I've seen that from your guys, and I've seen it from you because I see your athletes and you at a lot of different sporting events, especially men's hockey, you know, just as <laughs> an example juice. from last year, going back to last year a little bit. You know what I mean? But that's the kind of stuff that you need to have to be a well-rounded individual. And it takes it from being basketball is who we are to basketball is what we do. And, and being able to make that differentiation is huge, in my opinion, in order to become a well-rounded individual. Because, you know, you alluded to it earlier, basketball, hockey, sports, whatever, it's only going to get you so far in life toward becoming a well-rounded individual. If you base yourself based on just that, you're going to have a hard time. You need to be able to reach out and do other things. You know, challenge your mind, challenge, challenge yourself spiritually, socially, intellectually, and physically in other ways. You know, that's, to me, the key of becoming a well-rounded individual. And I think Coach McDonald did that as well as anybody. And I see that kind of also beginning, beginning to become a big part of your program as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's, you know, in this time right now, I, I mean, just l- reflecting on my, our own experiences right now, you know, if, there, if there's been a silver lining, it's, you know, we've been able to take a step back and, and you know, really understand that we have an opportunity to to dive deeper into people's What's important to them? I mean, they're, they're all on a basketball team because, you know, basketball is important. But what else is going on right now that is important? And, you know, whether it's things in society that we've been able to sit down and talk about and have different events around and have dialogue, um, you know, whether it's been, you know, mental health, you know, that's kind of been a department-led effort. Um, that, you know, there's been some real valuable conversations in that. And, and going back to, you know, you know, John talking about what drives us and, and the outcomes, um, that that's allowed to build a deeper relationship and, and trust and, um, and just a, a greater understanding of one another. And I think, uh, you know, right now it's in the moment. You know, 
I, I think the relationships you need to invest in daily. But, um, you know, hopefully down the road, uh, you know, people – We'll be able to take something from that. Maybe they are right now, but you know whether they're here, whether it's after their time at UW Superior, that that those interactions meant something to them. Um, you know, again, and uh, we keep referring to Coach McDonald. I, I think that you know those examples are infinite of of how those things have carried on uh, well beyond you know when they happened originally. So yeah, I think just building those relationships daily is is so key, and in in not just in the surface level of really getting into deeper things and recognizing, uh, you know, what needs to be addressed more. So it, as you get to know each, each person individually, I think it's, it's a, it's a case of gain perspective, a true perspective, because it's easy when things are going well to say, God, we got another big basketball game coming up. We got another, you know, game against Alaska or whoever, you know, in, in our league, Bethany Lutheran and Northwestern, the, you know, the big players. And we're concentrating on that. If anything, this entire you know circumstance that we find ourselves in that John talked about earlier, it's at a, per, a level of perspective. It can be taken away like that. Just enjoy it. Let it be part of you, but not all of you. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you mentioned the word intangible. I mean, that that connection between one another, coach to to player, player to player. Um, you know, that's an intangible, and that's not something that you you get just even by sitting by. I mean, you have to work on that. You need to be intentional about that. You have to have conversations. You need to have uncomfortable conversations, um, and you need to truly, uh, you know, be there for one another and be a coach and be a leader and be a mentor, um, and that can that can build those intangibles within a team and a group, but it has to be intentional. And, and right now it's very easy for a coach to to look the other way walk away um, saying, hey, we can't play, or it's going to be this tough to even have practice. And I think that's where coaches, coaches are so crucial right now that, you know, um, you know, they need to, you know, really you know, go all in on it because it's easy for them to walk away. And, that's not, and they're not even wrong necessarily for doing that. But I think their role is so crucial right now. So, so to be intentional with those efforts is, is extremely important right now because I think the outcomes right now from those efforts are, are, are huge and invaluable. So. I I I think I, I think about Coach McDonald for you know coaching fifty nine years mm-hmm. and starting in nineteen fifty five, stepping aside in twenty fourteen, and obviously a lot changed in that stretch of time. Um, a lot has changed within life, the coaching profession, and, and everything like that. And I, I know you used the phrases coach, leader, mentor, but coaching in twenty twenty. In a global pandemic, I mean, it's it's more than that, isn't it? I mean, you're coach, leader, mentor, teacher, mm-hmm. counselor, mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of hats that that coaches have to wear, and I think it's magnified a little at the college level because they are away from home in mm-hmm. most cases. Yeah, and it's there's a lot of roles that you have to play, aren't there? And there a lot goes a lot goes into that too because it goes back to you have to learn eighteen personalities and what makes eighteen people tick and what's important to eighteen people and what might work great talking to Matt and motivating him might not do squat for me and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I mean it's it's something that has definitely evolved over time and it's it's not just a simple well we go to practice then we go home thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think, um, you know, two things, just to acknowledge Coach McDonald's 
service and professional career of 50 some years is is pretty unreal and and to say things maybe are have changed now in 2020 I, I don't know if I can even imagine doing anything for 50 some years so so hats off to uh, uh, you know a career like that um, and to be able to do it that long in one place is unreal um, to to go on to what that looks like today, yeah, I think again and again in the in the situation we're in in 2020, and you know we have 20 guys on our roster from all over the world, uh, from all different various backgrounds with all different various needs. Um, yeah, it, if it was as simple as going to practice and writing a great practice plan and executing and and being sharp and performing, um, yeah, the job would be pretty, you know. Pretty straightforward and direct, but it's not. And and it's it's meeting with kids individually. It's texting at night. It's phone calls at night. It's calling parents. It's emailing parents. It's you know because their their families are in the same situation too. You know, there's uncertainty for them too. And you know, they come to a school. You know, UW Superior because you know they they for the education because they believe in what's going on here. Um, you know, there, there needs to be a reassurance there too. And and you try to try to do everything and it's not easy. And at the same time, you, you have your own family at home in, in this, uh, different time that you need to do your best for there. And, um, yeah, it just doesn't stop. It just doesn't stop. Um, and I think if you do stop though, you know, you, you run into problems. And I think that's, that's just the role you take on as a coach. And I think you know that when you step into that profession, that you're taking on all those different roles that you listed off, John, that, that that's the job. And, you know, especially, you know, coach is a coach, whether it's pro, whether it's division one, two, three, high school, youth, all very, can be very impactful. It does not matter the level. Um, but I will say, you know, at an institution like ours, you know, we, we, we're not staffed with eight assistants and we're not staffed with, um, you know, a team, you know, mental health, you know, professional or a team or a strength trainer, this, that, the other. So you have to take those, those roles on and, and we want to give our kids the best experience. So you try to do your best in every role. Um, but, um, you know, that can be exhausting. And, and, you know, you talk about the environment we're in right now, that can be challenging for coaches too. But I think for coaches, if they weren't able to do what they're doing, uh, you know, that could be detrimental to them. So I think that's just how I look at it every day. As challenging as it is, the alternative to me sounds much worse. So I just dive into it every day. And you see coaches across the country doing that. I mean, I, you see the return to sports and whether it's the NHL and, and, and um, you know, the NBA with the bubble and the MLB playoffs going on right now, just what, you know, joy that has brought to, to everybody. Um, even though it's different, um, you know, I just embrace the, every opportunity we have. So, cause I, I think it, I know it's helping people. So I agree. I mean, I don't know what else to say other than, uh, the fact that I think the level of of challenge, but also the level of um, dedication to kind of working through some complexities that this situation has brought up has been really, you know, gratifying to see. And I think it's across the board. You know, we all have different views on how things should be done. And that includes coaching and teaching and everything else. But there has been a kind of common thread that I've seen through all the coaches that I've talked with. 
and the ones that I know specifically at places like UMD and UWS. And that is really that it, it, it has reinforced kind of the need for community and being able to create communities within your own program. I mean, in your case, like I said, you have a lot of international guys on this team. I mean, this isn't just a group of players from the Twin Ports or even, you know, the Milwaukee Metro, Madison, or even the Twin Cities Metro area. This is a, a roster that's quite international. And so this is a circumstance that calls for that more than ever to really show as a coach and as uh, a kind of a mentor and an educator and a leader for a group of young men that have come from everywhere that we're all here and we're all in this together. And that, that's one of those intangibles, again, that you know, resonates beyond just basketball. I mean, that's, that's a true community-building kind of thing. Yeah, no, and it's it's and it gives greater understanding to just you know the the society right now, and you know whether it's our country, our world that that we are in this all together, and and we need one another. We're in it together for our team, for our athletic department, for our university, for our community, and it just keeps going and going. And yeah, it's been interesting with with international players. You know, this is going on across the world too. So this isn't like this is something they don't know about. You know how maybe right. how we're handling it is different. Uh, so yeah, you know, and it's when we go to practice every day, you know, we're masked up and, and we, we, we do our absolute best with that. But for those two hours, you know, life is good. You know, you right, know, you yeah. you have that opportunity. It's great. And don't get me wrong. Life is good. Otherwise, but it really just brings a sense of clarity. And you hear that, you know, when I get on the court, you know, I, I forget about other things. It, it truly does bring that. And I think once you step off, that's where you go back to those other roles of being there for a, as a support, uh, as a mentor, just somebody to listen to these people, to the students, um, to other coaches, and, and then you, you go back to work on, on that facet of things. And, and you know, and right now I, I think that's the true important work right now. Things will figure themselves out on the court, um, but I think just being there for one another right now is is key and, and will get us through this. Um, yeah, so I just do my best every day. I don't think there's an answer. I don't think, you know, I'm kind of looking at both of you right now, too, like I want to give you a better answer. <laughs> but I don't think there really is an answer besides, you know, being there for one another and, and doing your best. And, uh, you know, I talked about, you know, not worrying about the outcome, not worrying about what this is going to end because there's not an answer there. And you just you just need to do your best. And, and that's that's all we can ask for. So. I have another kind of follow-up question. This goes back directly to your team because we talked about this. I watched a little bit of your practice the other day, and it was something that both of your assistant coaches kind of mentioned to me. And it's another dynamic here because, of course, in college sports, you have four years, and guys are at different stages of their careers depending on what program you're in, whether you're a senior, freshman, and everything in between. You have a really young group this year. And a lot of these guys are not only dealing with a pandemic that they did not see coming. A lot of these guys are away from home, some of them, for the first time. And some of them are, you know, have virtually no college basketball experience. How has that factored into how you guys are handling this kind of extended training camp you have? And what kind of role do you think that that plays for you guys as a coaching staff? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things. Um, there's, you know, there's a pandemic. There is, you know, class looks different right now. Some people are, you know, they're going virtual classroom in their dorm room. Some people are face-to-face. Different modes of online delivery. 
and everybody learns different. So, you know, it's helping each of those guys through that differently because not one person has the same type of schedule. And, and there are so many young guys that just college in general is new. And then there's all these different modes that they're going to college in that you're supporting them in that. Um, you know, it's, it's them, us being part of the campus community and going through testing and, and doing our best there that, you know, you have to support them and guide them in, in all that. Cause it's all new and it's new to us at the same time. So right. again, you, you want to give this exact answer, but you know, we, we don't necessarily have the answer either besides just trying to do our best and, and follow the guidelines we've been given. Um, and as far as the young team, you know, like I said, it's been a silver lining where we've gotten a chance to know one another better, talk to one another more. Uh, the basketball court will, will figure itself out. Uh, but we've had a chance to really come together and not rush things like like you normally would have to and push things and get ready for a game and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've, we've take that, taken that to our advantage to really come together more. And, um, no, I love the team. I love the team. I love where they, we are now. I love the, what, what the future can be. You know, we in our first meeting, we talked about this as being a two-year commitment, too. You know, we don't have one senior on the team. So if, if we want to be all in on this, you know, we have a great opportunity to, to literally, you know, this can be a two-year commitment. And I don't think you – we're really not a lot has to change. I'm sure there will be some new players next year and whatnot, but – you know, we could really go all in on this and, and just worry about each day getting better because we can let this thing keep going for, for two years. So, you know, we've taken that approach with it and, and they're doing great. Um, and, uh, you know, things, same things as effort and, and caring for one another are still emphasized, but you know, they, they've been doing a great job. And again, it's just been a place where they can, that's a clear mind. That's a clear space there where they can just do what they love and, and, and you could tell they know it too because when they get out there, it, it's you know it's on and, and they're and they're doing their best. So it's it's just been a joy to be around it every day here so far. I can appreciate the fact that nobody really knows, you know, because a lot of times athletes look to their coaches to kind of tell them how it should be and how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you guys are almost as much in the dark as they are kind of helps build that community even more because it's all we're all learning together on this case. Well, and that's where the relationship piece is so big because that's what's going to fall back on. We're not falling back on a schedule. We're not falling back on, you know, hey, this is when you're going to go up against whomever. You're, you're falling back on the relationship. So right. we want to get to a game or next year or whatever it is, the relationships are going to get us there. And the belief in those relationships and the belief in our goals, um, that's what's going to get us there. So, um you know that's the backbone of all this, and and back to the rule that the you know that John brought up about you know coaches and and how we go about that. Um, yeah, that's 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 been the the emphasis the whole way here has been the relationship piece. So, you, you talked about we're on the court, you step off the court, and then there's texts, texts at night, phone calls at night, talking to players, talking to parents, and all of that. You have a family. Mm-hmm. You have you have a young family. Mm-hmm. You know you got two young sons. How do you how do you balance all of it to still be that effective coach because you know what goes into that, but you still have to be a husband and a dad. How do you balance all that, Greg? I don't know if I do balance it. I'll just be quite honest with that. I think uh, most coaches would probably answer it the same way. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I, I like to try to do that. Uh, my you know my wife's been great. You know you know she, she works at the university too, so she's 
she's going through this and and you know going about her daily life in a, in a different way of things too. So she's in this, like everybody is. Uh, you have two kids, one who just got into school this year, and, and that life's different too. You know, you they, you know you drop him off at the, the front door. You can't go in. Uh, you, you know, he's doing great. So you, you want to be there and be visible and be supportive in that and be supportive for our younger son and just be around you know, my wife is teaching classes, you know, in, in different modes and answering texts and emails and all that, too. So you want to be supportive of that. Um, you know, right now, practice in our, this is my opinion, our face-to-face interactions that we are able to have um, are so valuable uh, because things to do right now are limited. So whether it's getting practice times when we can, practicing on weekends, so that fills guys' lives and, and, you know, that makes things go. That makes it very difficult to balance family, your own personal life. Um, you know, because we're, we're on October 14th, 15th here today. And, you know, we're nowhere, we're not even close to a season being even started or done. So the time and energy that has been placed into us getting off to a good start, I, I think we're achieving that. But there's been a lot of time and energy. But we got to keep it going. So, you know, there has to be a way to find some balance in that. Um, And, uh, you know, people supporting one another. uh, You know, my wife supporting me, me supporting her, uh, you know, friends, family is is key. Uh, Because we have a long ways to go. Um, You know, I, I try to pick my spots for balance. You know, I, you know, Sundays are big, Um, you know. Always picking or always dropping my kids off at school when we practice really late at night, picking my kids up from school. Um, and you just pick your spots and, and, and just not take those moments for granted and, and be present and be engaged. Um, because to be quite honest, I, I don't know if I'm balancing that. I think I would probably answer that question the same way, even if we weren't in a pandemic, mm-hmm. but it does heighten <clears throat> things right now and it is tough. So um, but yeah, you're not only trying to do your best for your players and your team, um, but you know you have uh, you know a family that's going through this same thing. You have extended family, uh, you know that you're maybe not even able to see. That you need to be present and mindful of just you know keeping that balance in your life too. So yeah, it's it's not easy. Um, but again, I think it goes back to that relationship piece and just investing in people. And, um, you know, that I think allows for some type of balance. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, again, I, uh, uh, I think you just, you just give, you just give right now. And, and I, I, I think and believe you'll, you'll get that back in return to fuel yourself. But, uh, it's a, it's a big challenge. It's a, it's a huge challenge. Um, I won't even claim it to be healthy necessarily, but that's the, the job that, that we're tasked with and, and, uh, you know why we're here. So, disclaimer, I guess, being to your your wife is a former collegiate athlete, mm-hmm. uh, so she understands the role of coach, and I think probably the role of coach spouse mm-hmm. as well as anybody would. So, I, I mean, probably a little more understanding there than somebody who wasn't a collegiate athlete. You know, like my wife, for example, didn't play sports, so sometimes she doesn't always understand this. You have a game again. Mm-hmm. You know, you're working late. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, still supportive, obviously, but doesn't necessarily have the same understanding your wife would. 
Yeah, and I, I think, you know, the understanding that, and not that it makes it easy for my wife, but, you know, she understands that, you know, not only through our relationship, you know, her family is, there's coaches and athletes in it, and she was an athlete, that when practice is done at 6 o'clock, or 7, 8, 9, 10, whatever it is, she's, what's been very valuable for me to allow this to work is that she understands that the job is not done when the horn goes off at the end of practice and that there's conversations after, there's phone calls after, there's texts after, and that's just my style. Some coaches aren't that, but that's my style. I feel that, you know, I really try to embrace those extra intangible things, as, as Matt mentioned, and I really invest into those, and she understands that. So that's been incredibly valuable to be able to to do that side of the job because to me that kind of makes our program go um that's what I kind of lean on knowing that you know we're putting in that extra work in in those areas so so that understanding of knowing when practice when I tell her practice is from five to seven well that might mean you know nine o'clock after talking to so-and-so and and speaking to so-and-so on the phone or this happened in practice with so-and-so and I got to call him because I know he didn't walk out of the gym in the right mindset type of thing uh, has been extremely valuable. Cause I don't think if I'd be able to, if I couldn't do that, you know, I wouldn't be completing the job. So um, yeah, that's been very valuable. What was it that happened in your life that made you go, this is the path I want to take? You know, I've, I've thought about that a little bit more recently, uh, not because I knew I was going to be on here, but you know, you know, you talk about coach McDonald and you know, you hear about, you know, read the articles and you, you hear about the Saturday hoop sessions and um, that community and camaraderie feel that was built within the program, the school, the community. You know, I was in a similar environment with that. You know, I just grew up in a small town and we didn't have Saturday hoops, but we had Sunday hoops and you walk into the gym and, you know, at that time it was a small town feel with, you know, basketball was good and, town rallied around it so when you went to that Sunday hoops and you see those guys you know you just fall in love with with that environment you go to the games and you just you just love it and then when you're actually to be a participant on both with that you know it's a great joy and you know those coaches are so impactful I mean I could list them off with you know, my high school coach coach Millen our assistant coach Swanson and others that were so great in in coming here and the coaches I had here the impact they had on me, it just, it literally, um, you know, obviously my parents were a huge influence and impact too. It, those professionally, those individuals just, you know, it was just a constant motivation. You know, it was a standard that you wanted to live up to and, and not let down. Um, it still fuels me today. I mean, I'm, I'm here in this role because of those coaches and because of that lifestyle in, in wanting to meet their standards, I'm still wanting to meet their standards right now. And it's just been a mentality that's been ingrained in me and, and I've fallen in love with it. And, and again, back to relationships, you know, the depth of, you know, this year we lost, we talk about this young team we have. We lost all those seniors last year. And over the last eight weeks, the amount of interactions that I've had with that those group of guys unsolicited has been a true reflection of you know what this is all about and and it's been about whether they're asking about the team or what's going on in life 
you just know that I think, I hope, that you're having an impact and those relationships are meaningful. Um, and at that time in their life, maybe <coughs> basketball is at the forefront, but you know, when they call you up from across the world with Veed or, uh, you know, Colton Williams calls you up from his new job, just wondering how things are going on or Mac wants to go out to eat. Um, it just, you could just tell there, there's a deeper significance behind it. And, and that's what motivates me. But to go back to the beginning, you know, that just that mindset and that, that wanting to be a part of something uh, was always so big to me. And I still want to be a part of it today. And now I'm fortunate enough to be in, in the role I am now. That conversation, or the conversations you're having with those seniors, just it, it triggered something in my mind. Uh, Mike Hastings, who's the, the head men's hockey coach at Mankato, um, he was a longtime coach in the United States Hockey League. And one time he was talking when he was approaching the rec- or 500 wins, I think. Uh, they did an interview with him, and he talked about early in his coaching career and he had been coaching for three or four years, and he realized that he never heard from any of his former players, and that was sort of an indictment that he wasn't very good at his job. And he kind of changed his his tact a little bit because he knew he wasn't – he was only coaching hockey. He wasn't coaching people. And that, that – the thought kind of forced him to change things a little bit, and when he did, the, his results got better, and he became a better coach of hockey when he decided he was going to be a better coach of people. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, mm-hmm. but it was something along those lines, and I thought that was really interesting, and then you kind of touched on that as well, too. So it uh, it, it does tie back into that it's more than just numbers. There's, there's more to this. It is an intangible thing. It is a relationship thing. Um, we're going to let you go here, but one more thing. We opened this with uh, you talking about recruiting at Chisholm High School. How did it go? Did we get the player? Yeah, Taylor Skoglund, <laughs> yeah, came here, and that was actually uh, – I remember him committing that that spring on the phone, and, you know, that was just when I was in the coaching, and I was all fired up, and, um, you know, yeah, that was – you know, it was great because he had been up there so many times, and he came – and it, what was weird about it, though, is then that spring or summer, I had ended up leaving Superior, so never really got to coach that player and that product, but I know he played here, uh, I think, under Logan Floor at the time and Matt Cyverling following. Um, so, yeah, he was a Yellow Jacket anyways. And, I, and yeah, I, I believe graduated from here as well, if, if I, my mind serves me correctly. But, um, yeah, so there was a, another Blue Streak, correct, it uh, is. on campus here. It is correct. The only school yeah. in the country that has the nickname Blue Streaks. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you guys for having me and, and for the conversation, and uh, looking forward to doing it again someday. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Coach Greg Polkowski, Yellow Jacket Head Men's Basketball Coach, joining us in this segment. We'll take a break, come back with more of the Eye of the Swarm right after this. Orkers Island Inn is now hiring and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. Back for the final segment of this week's Eye of the Swarm, and it was uh, it's been a good conversation, Matt. This has been a little bit different uh, episode than we've recorded before, but this has been a I, I, a good and I, I, for me for you an interesting conversation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I talked about uh, last podcast about the fact that I'm using this opportunity to become a better broadcaster and hopefully a better person through all of this. Um, and conversations like the one we just had with Coach Polk um, pretty much help that along, I think. They're difficult conversations. They're tiring conversations because we're all worn out right now and we're in situations that we're not you know, used to being in in terms of society and those of us in the sports world especially are not used to what we're facing right now. But I thought that that was a really good talk. I thought that, you know, everything that, you know, Coach Polkowski touched on is something that, you know, you know, we can also attribute to Coach McDonald and other coaches across the country right now that are facing difficulties that they never anticipated and, you know, probably never even dreamed of having a face in a career as a coach. And you can kind of see that growth happening. And that's where I think going back to Coach McDonald, his legacy and his his story are so important to recognize right now because, um, you know, times were – he went through plenty of tough times as a coach. I mean, you don't coach that many years without having a lot of difficulties as well, seeing a lot of things happen and having to deal with a lot of different aspects of basically everything that goes into coaching beyond just coaching the sport that you're coaching. Um. And I think, you know, Coach McDonald in that regard should be celebrated probably even more right now than he would be under normal circumstances. And that's where that tangible versus intangible conversation comes in. And the intangible with him certainly weighs, I think, just as much based on what I'm hearing from everybody else. I mean, I never met the man. I knew about his his, his legacy, obviously. Anyone who follows uh basketball as I mentioned in the first segment knows his story and knows his background and what he's meant to coaching but that's tangible those are numbers those are stories those are wins and points and championships and so on and so forth but the intangible really cannot be measured unless you actually have relationships and talk things out with people and that's the part that really I think cements his legacy as an educator I keep going back to that point, but as an educator, because an educator is a coach and a teacher, among other things, and that's what he is. He, to me, he's a true educator. That you know, and that's I. I want <clears throat> if there's one thing that I, I, I want like my post, my conversations here today, to, to drive home about this man is he's just there's so much more to him than a basketball coach, and the impact is so much more far-reaching than just the basketball players. I never played for him. He impacted me as much as anybody right. that I played for, and I never played for this guy. Yeah. You know, so I, there's just so much more there than, than him just being a basketball coach. That's what people need to celebrate. Right. That's, and you're, you're exactly right. There's, it, it, there's intangible things there. And that's, I guess, where this comes from for me is there's, I didn't know the basketball coach really. Right. I, I really didn't. Aside from the three hours of practice I watched when I had detention in 10th grade, I really didn't know a lot about the basketball coach piece. I, I knew him as a teacher, as a boss, and, and I hope as a friend eventually. Right. Yeah. You know, so um, I, I appreciate you, Elliot, Greg, 
everybody listening, just humoring me and letting me have these conversations today because it's, it's, been, it's been a really good thing f- for me. That being said, we've got some sports action to talk about because we before we wrap this thing up, we do have to bring it back to UW-Superior. We do have some teams that are going to be in frigid action on Saturday. <laughs> yes, we do. A couple of them simultaneously at the moment. Uh, as we record this on a Friday afternoon, um, women's softball, their uh, softball game, which would have been the first of their best of three in the Super Series, has been canceled and moved to the 29th of this month. So make Correct. that note on your calendars, all of you, all of you listening at home. Um, in the meantime, baseball and men's soccer are on for now. <laughs> um and we will see what the next 24 hours hold. Yeah, we we looked at the weather this morning. We were having this conversation about it, and you, you started, you're looking at the window, and there isn't one. Because yeah. you basically have snow from 6 a.m. to 1 p.m., and then you've got rain till 6 p.m. And, you know, it's it's not going to be the best weather day we've ever seen. No, the temperatures are only <laughs> supposed to get into the high 30s, low 40s yeah. at best. Um, it's going to be difficult conditions regardless. Um, men's baseball would be playing at 2.30. Soccer at three, so they'll be going, playing simultaneously about 300 feet away from each other. Yep. Over at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex, but again, we are waiting for Mother Nature to do whatever it does before that's a final confirmation on the schedule. And that's what we have as of now. Right. So that's what's coming up this weekend. I'll be on the air, or at least on the stream, with baseball. That's the plan. 2:30 will be the first pitch, and then I'll be on at 2:15. I think is what we're shooting for yeah that's probably yeah um but right. again <laughs> all that is subject to change the best place to f- find out about all this is uwsyellowjackets.com um because they're of course updating things as we go that and twitter that and twitter <laughs> yeah i mean social media also helps out but um it just adds more like uncertainty <laughs> again yeah. i mean we keep going back to that at a certain point but that's kind of where we're at i mean there's just no way to know for sure what we're going to be doing week to week and it just is, you know, that's just reality. Yep. And so hopefully uh, we'll get back, we'll be able to get on the air. Um, if not, the, anticipa- the anticipation is that if the game does not take place tomorrow on on Saturday the 17th, it'll be pushed back to the 18th on a Sunday. That's what we're anticipating for baseball, I think. Uh, no. We're not anticipating no, that? No, he okay. won't be playing Sunday at all. So okay. if, they, if they don't play tomorrow, it's going to have to be a different Okay. Because I thought I was under the impression that we might push back to Sunday. Yeah, that was originally in the conversation, and this morning it was eliminated from the conversation. Okay, okay. So it'll be tomorrow or nothing. Okay, tomorrow or bust. Over the weekend and then into next week for the uh, the sports that are going to be outdoors. It it doesn't look a whole lot better. It's going to be kind of a soggy week around here. Yeah, well, we're getting that. I mean, hard to remember that. We're in mid-October. Yeah. I mean, we're coming right up to... You know, that, the white stuff. Yeah, the white stuff is going to start falling here pretty quick. I mean, mm-hmm. I got up this morning and there was frost. Yeah. So we're getting right down to it. Um, and because we haven't played a game in so long, a actual game, it feels like we're kind of stuck in slow motion at a certain point. Right. But the days are going by. Yeah, we're just sitting at a really long red light right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, But days are still going by. Time is still passing. So sometimes you have to remind yourself, it's like, today is October 16th mm-hmm. as we record this. Mm-hmm. And we're just about two weeks away from Halloween. Right. So, you know, it's, yeah, time is passing by. And so we're running out of time as far as being able to get these games into conditions that are appropriate for outdoor sports, Right. you know, at a certain level. So, yeah, yeah we're all kind of uh, going by the, flying by the seat of our pants on this. So, again, follow us on the social media platforms. You can find things on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. And keep an eye on UWSYellowJackets.com for 
up to the minute. Well, not necessarily up to the, up to the hour. <laughs> Schedules and changes as we navigate our way through this uh, very strange fall season. Our producer again is Elliot Swery. Thanks very much to our guest, head coach Greg Polkowski. He's the big sound, Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and we thank you for listening to Eye of the Swarm. Rest in peace, Coach McDonald. Mm-hmm.